Grandparents' Day is September 13th, how do you remember yours? Why are words important in the liturgy? And what do those big words like deuterocanonical and apocrypha mean? Pope Francis says we're in a season of creation, so what does that mean for us? These topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Good to see you again, Bishop. John, it's always great to be with you. Football season is here. <laughs> yes. Amen. That's true. It starts uh, in the coming days. Right. And, uh, I'll tell you what, I wasn't sure at one point if we were ever going to see football again this year, but it looks like they're going to try to play. And uh, as somebody that follows football, both college and pro, it makes me happy. So I'm glad that they're at least going to try, but I know they're going to do everything to keep people safe as well. And Bishop, one of the side benefits is that although the stadiums haven't fully opened yet, uh, in fact, uh, no spectators for the first few games, eventually this is going to come about to bring jobs back uh, for stadium security and concessions and so forth. No, that's true. It is part of the economy and people are employed, you know, as you said, at stadiums and and other related, you know, merchandise shops and things of that nature. So it is a source of economy here in our country and probably it'll be very helpful to some people to get back to work. Absolutely. When I was a child, I used to go to my grandparents and my grandfather and I would watch some football. And Grandparents' Day is September the 13th. And uh, I fondly remember my grandparents. How about you? I do. I had the blessing, actually, of knowing each of my four grandparents. I was probably a little bit closer to the grandparents on my mom's side, just because we spent more time with them. And uh, they lived closer to us, so we saw saw them more often. My dad's parents, uh, my paternal grandparents, lived out of state. So we would visit with them on occasion, but, but didn't really see them as much. Unfortunately, both my grandfathers passed away relatively young in their 60s, but I had both my grandmothers until they were 90. Wow. So that was a, that was a blessing. As far as memories are concerned, I would say my uh, maternal grandparents eventually moved to Florida, to Daytona Beach, and um, just great memories. We were living in New York at the time, but during the summer, uh, my brothers and I and and our mom would would go to Florida, usually for about four to six weeks during the summer to spend with them. And then uh, our dad would come down when he was able to get off of work for a couple weeks of vacation, but just always special memories of going, you know, Look, going from New York to Daytona Beach for about a month or so during the summer was great. We'd go to the beach almost every day with them and uh, just had a great deal of love and affection for them. Did you ever come down for Christmas? We did, actually. you know, and a, kind of a funny story about that. We did. We we went one Christmas when we were pretty young, and uh, I remember when we were leaving, you know, our house uh, in New York, we asked our parents. We said, "How how is Santa, you know, going to find us? You know, we're going to Florida." My mom and dad assured us that he would know that we were there, and uh, not only did he bring presents on Christmas Day in in Florida, Christmas Eve, but then when we got back to New York. There were presents under our tree back at home, so he didn't forget us there either. How did that happen? <laughs> well, that's just a mystery. We'll have that's to... the magic of Santa Claus. That's right. It does give us an opportunity to think about our elderly population, even those grandparents that maybe we kind of adopt as neighbors who maybe are alone at this time. Always have to remember them, whether they're our biological family or just spiritual family, you know. 
keep track of each other and keep in touch with each other to make sure we're doing okay during these challenging days. And just for our own grandparents, they play such a critical role in our lives today. Many families, because you know parents have to work, can't always be there to help raise their, their children. The grandparents step in and, and really assist that in that role. And they bring a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience, a lot of love to those relationships. I recently was going through some things in the garage and found a, a box of old cassettes. And I brought them into Spirit FM because we have a cassette player there. And I popped one in, and it was the voice of my grandparents. And I hadn't heard their voices in 35 years. How special is that? And and I'm sure just the sound of their voice brought you back to a lot of memories, special memories that you had as a child. Absolutely. I was talking with my daughter, and my mother-in-law passed away about five years ago, but we... You can almost still, she says, I can still smell grandma. You know, there's those certain things that they never leave you. And the other important thing is, you know, grandparents uh, pass along traditions. So in doing that, they help us to come to know about our family and about our history. They share stories about our ancestors, you know, our, our great aunts and uncles. And, and again, pass along those special family traditions that still endure to this day. You know, hopefully families continue to pass those along to future generations. Absolutely. saw an article not too long ago uh, from the Catholic News Service that spoke about a priest who ended up not being a priest there was a he went back and looked at his baptismal video when he was a child and realized the deacon used the wrong language in the service and it negated everything else down the line why is it important that we use the right language during the sacramental uh, services? Sure, that's a, a great question. But the, the case you mentioned actually arose because of a decision that was made in Rome by the Vatican. There was a question that was posed to the congregation there asking if, if a baptism is, a, is performed not using the proper formula for baptism. So that would be, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and with water. Uh, that if it doesn't use that exact formula, uh, that it's not a valid baptism. So uh, in the particular case you mentioned, uh, the pre, uh, the deacon who performed that baptism on that priest said the formula, he said, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And of course, that doesn't conform to, to the formula for baptism that is approved by the church. And so um, that baptism was was determined to be invalid. So the, believe it or not, that that priest who thought he was ordained a priest had to go back and be rebaptized and receive the other sacraments of of his faith, you know, including ordination to priesthood. So what happens then? It sounded like, from what I read in the article, that the marriages that he performed were not valid either. So that had just a rippling effect across that whole region. Yeah, it's, it's very troublesome, of course, because when that becomes public, and it needs to be made public because people have the right to know whether they receive the sacraments or the sacraments that they received are valid or not. So the, um, the archdiocese where this priest is ordained put out a public notice from the archbishop and said, this is what happened. If you receive sacraments from this priest or you're questioning whether it was valid or not, to contact them. So they're trying to work through those very difficult issues. But the important thing is for people to to know whether or not they received a valid sacrament or if they need to receive that sacrament again. Uh, the que- a lot of questions popped up. The first one was, can it just count? 
I mean, we're just talking about an I versus a we. That's just a pronoun change. It still doesn't take it away. Yeah. Unfortunately, John, in this case with baptism, for the validity of the sacrament, we have to use particular words. It would be similar to in the Mass, you know, when at the consecration, when the priest elevates the host and says the words of Jesus, this is my body, you know, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. If we vary or get away from those actual words that our Lord used, that affects the validity of the sacrament. And and a priest doesn't have the power or the right to change the Mass or the sacraments. You know, that's just something that the church gives to us. It's approved by the church. It's approved by Rome. And um, there's really not a lot of leeway with regard to changing those words. Not even like in the spirit of the event. I know. You're shaking your head no. I'm putting it to you because that's what I'm reading. I mean, I'm sure you can understand the emotion of people thinking, my gosh, I finally went to confession after 40 years. Was that sacrament not valid? Yeah, it's very unfortunate, and um, of course the the deacon who, who performed a lot of baptisms using that incorrect formula, I think caused spiritual harm to people. You know, but again, what's the right thing to do? Right. The the right thing to do is to um, to inform those who may have received sacraments from the priest or from this deacon to come forward so that we can make things right. Is this a teaching moment for our guys here? Oh, it is. I think uh, all priests kind of stood up and took notice when the <laughs> sure. uh, when this response came from from the congregation in Rome, saying that if you don't use the the proper formula, that it does affect validity. I have to say, here in our diocese in Saint Petersburg, we haven't received any inquiries questioning whether or not a sacrament that they received was was valid and. You know, John, I, I'd go back and look at the video of my baptism, but I don't think one exists because it was it was back in the mid-60s, right. <laughs> 1964. And so I, while I have pictures of it, I don't think I have any audio. Sure. So. Yeah. And you read my mind because that was going to be my follow-up question is, you know, I have, I've heard from other dioceses or, or people that think they hear things at Mass, and then they'll contact the chancellor or the bishop's office and say, Father said something that wasn't supposed to be. What what kind of leeway does the priest have in celebrating Mass? On occasion, in the missal that we use to celebrate the Mass, which gives us the words that we're supposed to speak in the celebration of the Mass, rare occasion it will say, in these or other words. So it does give you a little bit of leeway there. But in other cases, it just will say, and the priest says the following, you know, quote. <laughs> yeah. The reality is, John, that, that the liturgy is not mine. It's not yours. It's not another priest. We don't have that freedom to just change things as we would like to do to, to make it suit us. And, of course, the, the risk when, when priests try to add things that maybe aren't there is that there might be an incorrect teaching or theology or something introduced which may not be in accord with the teachings of our faith and that just becomes confusing to the faithful especially yeah i could see where if they were to add a a word of color uh, you know to, to flower up the language a little bit or maybe add a petition in that you know might cause a stir later on someone may not agree with and say well uh, what gives him the right to add that right again 
priests should know whether or not they have the ability, the leeway to, to add a little something or change a little something, maybe as an introduction to a prayer. But when it comes to the, the critical, the important elements, for example, the profession of faith, or, or to the words of institution you know, that we say at the consecration, again, this is my body, this is my blood, a priest doesn't have any leeway to change those words. And we, we need to remind our listeners, too, that the majority, I would say, of the words at Mass that the priest says and that we pray come straight from the Bible. They do, and they do, and again, in, in terms of the Eucharist, uh, very much so. And so, they again, those were the words that are recorded in the Bible that Jesus spoke, and that's why they're incorporated and used in the liturgy itself. And the priest, who is acting in persona Christi, says those words, not words that he makes up or, or things sound better than what's there. Right. Back on September 8th, the church remembered the nativity of the Feast of Our Lady. One of the few persons that we hear in the Bible that was created without sin. Am I saying that right? Mary was conceived without original sin. The only two that were uh, conceived without sin or remained sinless was, of course, our Lord himself and, and Mary, his mother. And that's the what we celebrate on the, the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, was the reality, the belief that Mary was conceived in her mother's womb without the stain of original sin as a, as a means of preparing her body to be that tabernacle, so to speak, by which she would bring forth our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the church sets those specific dates. September 8th, uh, was it March 8th is the other date? No, uh, December, 8th, December 8th. December 8th is the uh, Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. That's when Mary was conceived. And then, of course, nine months later would be uh, September 8th. So December 8th to September 8th is nine months. Right. But we don't necessarily read about those dates in the Bible. We, uh, from what the research I saw, was a proto-evangelium of James. What is What kind of book is that? <laughs> well, it's a good question, John, and, and likely our listeners maybe have never heard of that. Some may have heard of something called the Gospel of Thomas. Yeah, I've heard it's of that. Another, another uh, so to speak, gospel, not one of the four that's in our Bible, right. but something that uh, people sometimes refer to or, or have heard of. The Council of Trent, which was in the 16th century, the mid part of the 16th century, uh, set what we, known as the, what we know as the canon of Scripture. So they determined through prayer, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that the books which are contained in the Catholic Bible, which are 73 in number, are divinely inspired, those writings. In other words, that the Holy Spirit and God inspired the writing, the writers of the books of the Bible to write down only what he intended, and that they're, they're free from error. And so the Council of Trent kind of formalized or um, affirmed that these are the divinely inspired books. And there's 73. I say in the Catholic Bible because in, our, <laughs> in other Bibles that exist that are non-Catholic, there's generally 70, I think, seven less books, so it would be mm -hmm. 66. Anyway, to answer your question, these other Gospels that we sometimes hear about, they would be referred to in Catholic circles as being apocryphal because they were not included. They were existing at the time, but they were not included or determined to be divinely inspired. So they're writings that exist. You can go and research them, read them, look at them, but we don't consider them to be the Word of God as we do the books of our own Bible. So what are deuterocanonical books? 
Well, that depends. For us as Catholics, the deuterocanonical books would be the seven books that are included in our Bible, which are not included in the Protestant Bible. They would refer to those seven as apocryphal (laughs) in their beliefs, uh, as not abiding with their own faith. So um, Luther, Martin Luther, we we believe, excluded those books from from his Bible, from the the Protestant Bible, because um, they didn't particularly match up with his own teachings. Okay, you know, particularly on the issue of faith and works. You know, is it faith and works that lead to salvation, or faith alone, mm-hmm. sola fide? Sure. So um, that that was an issue that was present at the time. So again, it just depends which Bible you're talking about and which faith. Right. Yeah, I know the Church of England, the uh, Anglican Church, includes some of the apocryphal books and and. And I'm talking about books like Sirach, Tobit, Maccabees. I think are some. Of course, we have we have those in our Bible sure. as well. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah, occasionally I'll have a friend say, "Well, I don't, I don't, I didn't see that, but I've never heard of that that book of the Bible." Yeah, and, exactly. And so that's kind of where that's coming from. All right. Well, that that kind of clears that up a little bit. Uh, read recently during this month of September, ending in early October on the feast of Saint Francis of Assisi and his memorial. The Holy Father, Pope Francis, deemed this a season of creation. And I think he was trying to bring attention to the the world that we're living in. As we know, Pope Francis is very much concerned with our environment and its decline, I'll say, uh, from global warming, uh, pollution, and the exploitation of uh, workers to, you know, better capitalism, I'll say, uh, to make money. And he says... Um, it's using the pandemic to look at our habits of our energy usage, consumption, transportation. You know, here in the United States, we're a huge, really, uh, United States, China, huge consumer of energy, causing uh, a lot of issues in our in our air. Yeah, no, you're you're right, and and this is an issue that's been very close and and dear to to Pope Francis is that the environment. If you remember, his first encyclical writing called Laudato Si, focused on the environment and on our call as humanity to protect and to preserve the environment for future generations. So it is an issue that that our Holy Father has focused on, and I think the main point, John, is that we have to realize that. <laughs> In the world, even though we live in different countries, different parts of the world, all of that, that we're connected. You know, we're, we're not just independent. You know, even though we're here in the United States or here in North America, not in Europe or not in Asia or Australia, you know, but the fact is that things that we do here affect others around the world. I think we've seen this uh, kind of in an analogous way recently with the COVID 19 uh, virus. You know, it kind of affected, it wasn't just limited to one country. It became a worldwide issue and pandemic. And so um, so it's the same with the environment. So when countries do not take steps to protect the environment or purposely do things which might damage the environment, it's not just affecting us, but it's affecting others around the world and, of course, future generations as well. I know some churches, and I've seen this at uh, a couple of Catholic conferences, they've talked about how parishes at the at the grassroots level can make changes in their own properties from trying to maybe reduce the amount of blacktop on the ground. Uh, some parishes are using solar panels. 
I even thought about that over where we are at Spirit FM. Is there a way that we could cost-effectively put solar panels on the roof? How about, John, how about recycling? Something as basic as that. Do we recycle items in our home instead of just tossing them in the trash? I know I do at my house. I, um, you know, drink a lot of water and I use the water bottles and maybe I could do something else so I didn't have to use the water bottles. But but I do always recycle those as well as other cardboard items that are acceptable to recycle. It's just a little thing, but it, it can make a difference if we if we try to do it. And just think if more and more people had that concern and that care for the environment, it could actually make a difference. So as we conclude our program today, would you lead us in a prayer for all of our grandparents and, and respect for our elderly neighbors? Of course. So let us pray. God, our Father, we, as always, praise you for this day and for all your many gifts and blessings. And one of the blessings we celebrate at this time of year is the blessing of our grandparents. We thank you for their love. We thank you for their example. We thank you for their wisdom and knowledge which help to guide and form us in our lives. And we ask your blessing upon them, uh, that you may grant them peace and that you may grant them uh, good health and happiness. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual pastoral appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.